Hello everybody, my name is Tina and I am a certified life coach. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Confidence podcast. Let's get to it. Hi everyone. A couple weeks ago, I shared how things were in my 20s and how I was lost within myself and not knowing what to think or who to talk to. And then I went to therapy for a minute, but I kind of found that wasn't really working for me. Then I got to work and I just started making a life for me and my daughter. This week, I will share how I was self-abusing myself and how that led to feeling unworthy and unlovable. In my late 20s, I was going out to clubs every weekend. I was still doing really great in my college courses, but I was harming myself at the same time. I was smoking, and I was a pothead, and I was popping pills, and I was over-drinking and having one-night stands. I was trying to cover up this unending feeling of unworthiness. I wanted to numb away all of my thoughts about being a sexual abuse victim, of having the parents I had, about being a single mom and raising a special needs daughter. I wanted to just block all of that hard work out and just do what I wanted to do. And I saw what I wanted was all of these things. I wanted to party. I wanted to hang out. I wanted to smoke. I wanted to be high all the time. I wanted to be around people that I didn't know. And so I just, you know, in my real life, it was appointments and house cleaning clients and lectures at school and homework and diapers and potty training and dinner and groceries and cleaning the toilet and taking out the garbage. And I just, I just wanted relief from that. And so I thought the relief was all this self-harm. It was just too much all of the time. And I remember going to get my wisdom teeth pulled out and they gave me these pain pills. <laughs> man, oh man, I loved the way they made me feel. But little did I know how addictive they were and how my brain reacts to that dopamine hit. My father was an addict, like I've told you guys, and some of us kids have that tendency too. Now, I don't know if this is medically true, but I believe that addiction is in the bloodline. Like, it's either learned behavior or it's just in your DNA. And that's how it was for me. I loved the way these pills made me feel. But yet we didn't have all this knowledge we have today about how addictive pain pills were back then. And then, you know, knowing people in the clubs, I was able to find someone to get me more pills. That, on top of all the drinking and all the sleeping around, it was giving me these dopamine hits that I was addicted to. These feel-good things that made me feel alive. They made me feel worthy. They made me feel like I was invincible, like I could be anything and anyone. And I felt on top of the world, and I felt in control, and I felt good. But there was like this disconnect because I was always mad. I never smiled. I cried when I was alone. I was lonely. I was scared. I didn't know who to turn to. I felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to. My behavior was erratic and I was high strung. And I couldn't make any friends and I couldn't keep the friends I did have. 
Sometimes I would snap at my brother for something so small and petty. I would argue with people. I would smoke my cigarettes in front of my daughter, which was something I told myself I would never do. But I was just at a point where I just didn't care. All of the clubbing and the sleeping around came to an end because I was having a hard time recovering for classes. So what I started doing was sleeping around with boys I met at school. We had a lot of fun together, but we had to be secretive. I refused to let anyone around my daughter. I just wasn't going to have it. And so I would just find buddies to smoke weed with and study with and then have a little fun with. Now, this may sound okay, but for me, it was a form of covering up, covering up what was really bothering me. It was a form of numbing away my real thoughts, my real feelings about what I was going through as a mom and as a growing woman. I took cover in these actions that I was taking. I didn't talk about what was really bothering me. I just wanted to have fun. And I thought if I was a fun person, then I would become happy. Then all of this underlying grief and trauma that I experienced would just go away. It would just magically, poof, disappear. So during the time that I was hurting myself, I was hurting my daughter by not being a good example. I wasn't whole for her. I wasn't fully present. And looking back I don't think, I don't really hold it against myself because that's who I was. Like, I have my back on that. I know that I was going through some things. And I also know that I wasn't taught how to be a proper mom. But I never, I never abused my daughter in any kind of way to where she didn't have any food or she didn't have what she needed or I didn't allow people around her. I just, you know, the abuse was abusing myself. And so I came to the realization that, you know, what I was doing for me was for me, that it, I needed these things in order to show up as a good mom. But I just didn't have it in me to be good to me, if that makes sense. You know, the pills were good. The weed was good. The boys were good. And I did end up hurting people that were, you know, close to me. I sabotaged a relationship with the family that I was babysitting for that I loved dearly. These kids were so special to me. The parents I worked for had helped me in so many different areas. They bought me a car one summer when I had nothing and they wanted to see me succeed. I still think about that family. I miss that family. I killed a long-time relationship with a girl that I adored. We were part of a group of three friends. We were always together. She let me stay at her apartment for a few weeks when I was homeless. And we had the same friends. We partied together. We shopped together. We were just comfortable together. And I hurt her by sleeping with her ex. She had a couple kids with this man. And I don't know why I did that. Even to this day, I just, I don't know what made me do what I did. But I sabotaged that relationship. And I could blame it on the drugs, and I could blame it on the fact that he was hooking me up with more drugs. I could blame it on the fact that I was young and I was dumb. But the real reason was I was unable to love myself. Therefore, I was unable to love others. I was unable to honor myself and respect myself. Therefore, I was unable to honor and respect others. I was unable to see my actions as something that was harmful 
to myself and to others. And I did apologize for that and I tried to go back, but sometimes you can't repair the damage that you've done. Sometimes you can't let people see how much you hate yourself and it turns into hate for others. And it's just sometimes they think it's unforgivable. And I was never able to repair that relationship or that relationship with that family. Those are some of the things that I've had to live with. Those are some of the things that I've had to come to terms with. So during this point, my daughter was growing and she was thriving. She didn't need so many specialist appointments and she wasn't having any more surgeries. She went to daycare and she went to school. And in the evenings, I had a girl I met at the daycare watching her for super cheap. So she would come over in the evenings for my classes and stuff. And that was when I would go to class. I would meet up with somebody and do all the things that I was doing. So I was, I was working at the school. I was cleaning my houses and I was going to class. But like I said, I had this whole oh, life that I was living. And my relationship with my siblings were very, it was very thin. Like we talked few and far between. My brothers and sisters were li living their own lives and I was living mine. But the only two that I was really in contact were, with were my twin Nathan and my older sister Dawn. Sometimes I would hear from my younger brother Derek. Again, we were all pretty much living our own lives. My and Nathan's lives were always intertwined and they'll always be intertwined even after his passing. Because I nurture my relationship with his boys, and I still talk to his ex-wife, the mother of my nephews. But even with her and our relationship, it, it was dwindling around this time because her and my brother had separated, and he was doing things that were detrimental to his mental health. Him and I were on the same path of self-destruction, but we never talked about it. And we never said to one another, hey, I'm worried about you. How can I help? I remember judging him for the very same things that I was doing. I remember being mad at him and not following through on our plans and not, or not calling me back. And here I was doing these very same things to other people. It was a cycle of me not taking responsibility for my life and my actions and then blaming others for how they showed up. I did this in many different ways. It was me always thinking that I wasn't doing anything wrong and yet still being mad at the world and everyone in it. And this showed up in the way I would react to different things in life, the way I would react to people in school, the way I would react to students that I was taking care of and at work. I had many a talking to from my managers like, hey, you need to bring it down so much. You can't be, you can't be so angry with everybody all the time. And in turn, I would think that they were attacking me, right? Like, I never took that as a sign to say, hey, let's look at what's really going on. What is wrong? I just took it as everyone hated me and everyone was against me. I never took accountability for my actions, my thoughts, my feelings that were driving these actions. And so, this was around 2009. I was turning 30 and my life changed drastically. I met someone that would introduce me to something that I was trying to understand. I was living in a nice apartment and this man moved above me. And I was trying to understand the meaning of life and the world and the concept of God. 
and I was taking history classes and world religion and all these literary classes, but I still couldn't wrap my brain around some things. Now, I wasn't new to the idea of a creator, and I knew from school that evolution was a theory and that there was no real evidence, but it was something that we believed in. And so this new neighbor of mine began having conversations with me. And he wasn't bothered by the fact that I was always ticked off or that I was a pothead. He didn't judge me for wanting to be who I wanted to be. So we would have these conversations and I began asking questions of my own. And he ended up giving me a Bible and I read this Bible from cover to cover within a few months. And I kept asking questions and comparing what I was learning in college. And then I would take extra time to go look things up in the library And sure enough, everything that he was telling me was true, like the history of everything. And I told him that I was really interested in what I was learning and I wanted to learn more, but what did I need to do? And so he directed me to the local Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses and I knocked on that door and I met a woman that I still know today. And she studied the Bible with me and she helped me learn and grow in my spirituality. Now, I had to clean up my life, and all my self-sabotaging tendencies had to be put to an end in order to have a clean moral standing with God, if that's the life I wanted to lead. If I wanted to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses and raise my daughter with this new life, then I had to clean up my act. So I did. I quit smoking in two weeks, I quit taking pills, and I quit smoking pot. Now, it wasn't easy, right? Like, this, this work was hard. Coming off of drugs, coming off of cigarettes, coming out of the over-drinking and not partying. Like, that was a lot of work. But I did it because I wanted a relationship with God. I, I stopped seeing the guys that I was talking to. Like, I cut off contact with everybody. And I did that because I was happy to find this meaningful way of life in this community of people that believed the same things that I was believing in. I was excited to feel belonged and loved by this new group. And so this new life afforded me some peace and it gave me answers to questions I've always had. And this new life afforded me a real future to look forward to. But as in any life, hardships and problems will always find us. That's just what it is. Life is hard. Things happen. And just because I found a relationship with God, it didn't fix the underlying, the the uprooting of all these solid-based beliefs I had in myself. It didn't change the way I, I saw the past. It didn't change the way I saw my my parents. That came with the life coaching. But it would be a few years between me finding my spirituality and my relationship with God and a learning of these concepts of the life coaching. It would be a few years in between. And so I had, I had a new personality because of the Bible-based principles that I was learning and implementing, but it didn't uproot my deep-seated beliefs about me. And that's how it all came together. When I found life coaching and when I changed those deep-seated beliefs about myself and about others, and I was still able to live a clean life because I became one of Jehovah's Witnesses, that's how I know 
that this life that I've made for me, this life that I've made for my daughter is beautiful and wonderful and something that I'm so proud of. Okay, so next week, I will talk a bit more about all of this and about the life coaching and how I changed my um, beliefs about myself. I want to thank you all who have been so supportive of me and me telling my story. It means so much to me how invested you all are. Please leave me a review to let me know how you're enjoying this time we have together. And please, please feel free to reach out to me. And let me help you change your life by changing your thoughts about you. I promise you are worth it. Okay, bye everyone.